engaging your Bible and turning to Acts chapter 10. Um, we're going to cover 48 verses today. I know, that's scary. It scares me. I could spend a week a verse uh, in this passage. That'd be 48 weeks. Um, it, it's very rich, and I, I'm not hurrying through it because there's not a lot there. I'm hurrying through it because you got to see the whole thing. It's a big picture, and you got to see the big picture. But there are tons of, 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 of principles and doctrines in there that extrapolate out into some very deep water. And, uh, and hey, Don, good to see you. Hey, glad to see you guys. My friend Don's here. He's, uh, he's our church health specialist for our area, for the valley, for uh, all of Shenandoah Valley. So appreciate you being here. He, I thought you were coming. He texted me, you preaching? Yeah, so third row, so you wear the spitfall, so be careful. Um, but we're, we're in Acts 10, so I'm going to read all 48 verses, so let's do that first. So you stand up, we're going to get this full context, and we'll just have time to pull out a couple of principles uh, here. And, uh, and I'm calling this the church is complete. I'll explain that in a, in a little bit. At Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion of what was known as the Italian cohort. Now let me stop. Uh, I, I, well, I didn't do this earlier, but I'm going to do it this time. Because when I see it, I need to say it because I won't say it later. A centurion is a man that's in charge of 100 people. A Roman legion, 6,000 people. So they had 60 centurions in each one. This guy has all the Italians, I guess. The Italian cohort. The 100 Italian guys. Um, and, and so that's pretty important. Now, that makes him a Gentile. And I'll come back to this in a minute. But this is the first time in the Bible, in, in the New Testament, where a Gentile become saved in, in the sense of how we understand after Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. All right? So, he's a devout man who feared God uh, and with all his household gave alms generously to the people and prayed continually to God. About the ninth hour of the day, he saw clearly in a vision an angel of God come in and say to him, Cornelius, and he stared at him in terror and said, What is it, Lord? And he said to him, your prayers and your alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now send men to Joppa and bring one Simon who's called Peter. He's lodging with one Simon a tanner whose house is by the sea. And when the angel who spoke to him had departed, he called two of his servants and a devout soldier from among those who had attended him. And having related everything to them, he sent them to Joppa. Meanwhile, back on the ranch, that's not in the Bible, but that's what's happening. In verse 9, the next day, and remember, Joppa, and this, this is all around Tel Aviv, if you want to look at a modern map, see kind of the area. The next day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray, and he became hungry and wanted something to eat. But while they were pre preparing it, he fell into a trance and saw the heavens open, something like a great sheet descending, being let down by its four corners upon the earth. In it were all kinds of animals and reptiles and birds of the air. And, then the, and there came a voice to him, rise, Peter, kill and eat. This is the hunter's theme verse right here. Rise, kill, and eat. So he tells Peter, the voice says, rise, kill, and eat. And Peter says, by no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything that is common or unclean. And the voice came to him a second time, what God has made clean, do not call common. This happened three times and the thing was taken up at once to heaven. Now, while Peter was inwardly perplexed as to what the vision that he had seen might mean, behold, the men who were sent by Cornelius, having made inquiry for Simon's house, stood at the gate and called out to ask whether Simon, who was called Peter, was lodging there. And while Peter was pondering the vision, the Spirit said to him, Behold, three men are looking for you. Rise and go down and accompany them without hesitation, for I have sent them. And Peter went down to the men and said, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for your coming? And they said, Cornelius, a centurion, an upright and God-fearing man, who's well spoken of by the whole Jewish nation, was directed by a holy angel to send for you to come to his house and to hear what you have to say. So he invited them in to be his guests. The next day he rose and went away with them, and some of the brothers from Joppa accompanied him. And on the, day, on the following day, they entered Caesarea. Cornelius was expe uh, expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. Notice that in case I forget it. They're expecting to hear a message from God, and so he wanted to make sure his family and close, close friends heard it as well. And so, <clears throat> verse 26, but, uh, sorry, verse 25, When Peter entered, Cornelius met him and fell down at his feet and worshipped him. 
But Peter lifted him up and said, Stand up, I too am a man. And as he talked with him, he went in and found many persons gathered. And he said to them, <coughs> You yourselves know how unlawful it is for a Jew to associate with or to visit anyone of another nation. But God has shown me that I should not call any person common or unclean. So, when I was sent for, I came without objection. I asked then, why did you send for me? Kind of interesting. Peter didn't even know why he's there. But at the voice of God, he obeyed. Verse 30, and Cornelius said, four days ago, about this hour, I was praying in my house at the ninth hour. And by the way, in verse 3, it says ninth hour, and here, ninth hour. Ninth hour is when Jesus died on the cross. And it kind of interesting, the first Gentile got saved about the same time. And behold, a man, or at least got told, and behold, a man stood before me in bright clothing and said, Cornelius, your prayers have been heard and your alms have been remembered before God. Send therefore to Joppa and ask for Simon, who's called Peter. He's lodging in the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you at once and you have been kind enough to come. Now therefore, we are all here in the presence of God to hear all that you've been commanded by the Lord. So Peter opened his mouth and said, truly I understand that God shows no partiality. But in every nation, every, uh, in every nation, anyone who fears him and does what is right is acceptable to him. As for the word that he sent to Israel, preaching good news of peace through Jesus Christ, he is Lord of all. You yourselves know what happened throughout all Judea, beginning from Galilee after the baptism that John proclaimed. How God anointed Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit and with power. He went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And we are witnesses of all that he did, both in the country of the Jews and in Jerusalem. And they put him to death by hanging him on a tree. But God raised him up on the third day and made him to appear, not to all the people, but to us who had been chosen by God as witnesses, who ate and drank with him after he rose from the dead. And he commanded us to preach to the people and to testify that he is the one appointed by God to be judge of the living and the dead. To him all the prophets bear witness that everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins through his name. And while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word. And the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God. Then Peter declared, can anyone withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to remain for some days. Let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, as we bow before you, Lord, in the holy of holies of heaven, at the mercy seat where Jesus' blood still speaks for us, in his name, Father, we ask now that the Holy Spirit be poured out on your church, that we would hear from you, we would know what it is you're asking of us, and that we would do it. And so, Lord, I pray that... We would all make that commitment in our heart. Lord, speak to me, and I will obey. Lord, for those who don't know you, I pray the Holy Spirit would bring conviction of sin and convince them of the righteousness that is found only in Christ and of judgment to come if we don't do that. Lord, thank you that you love us this much and that, you, that you've done this work. In Jesus' name, amen. You can be seated. I, I, I want to let you know something, and that is if you're a Gentile here, and you might not know what a Gentile is, if you're, if you're not a Jew, you're a Gentile. So if you're a physical Jew, if you're by, by family uh, heritage a Jew, you could have been saved uh, early in the book of Acts. But if you're a Gentile, you've got to wait all the way to chapter 10. Okay, and, and so the reason you and I are sitting here today is because of chapter 10 of, of Acts. Now, I've got to go back and, and, and kind of catch you up, put this all in context, a bit, even a bigger context. Um, in, in Matthew, Jesus is speaking, who do you say that I am he says, who do men say that I am? They give a bunch of answers. And he says, who do you say that I am? And Peter speaks up, says, you're the Christ. You're the Messiah, the son of the living God. And Jesus said, hey, you're blessed, Peter, because flesh and blood didn't reveal that. God revealed that to you. And I'm telling you, you're the rock. You're Peter. And on this rock, I'll build my church. And I'm going to hand you the keys of the kingdom. And the doors you open on earth will be opened in heaven. The doors you close on earth will be closed in heaven. God, and Jesus is telling us he transferred this kind of authority to the church, but he transferred it through Peter. Now, we don't hear this much in Baptist churches and churches like us because the, the Catholics messed the whole thing up. The Roman Catholics. And don't forget, most of my relatives are drunk Irish Catholics, so don't, don't, uh, don't think I'm, I'm, I'm fussing about them because we got some stuff wrong too. But 
But, but they say that Peter's the first pope, and, and, and there's a, a, a lineage from Peter that's never been broken, and the pope's infallible. Um, all those things are not true. Um, Peter was not the first pope. Peter was married, by the way, um, and, and, and a bunch of other things. But here's the reality that we ignore because we recoil at the severe teaching of the Roman Catholic Church, and that is Peter's the rock, and on that rock Jesus built the church, and he unlocked the door for the Holy Spirit to come. Now, I'm not saying Peter's God or he has divine power. What I'm saying is God authorized him to do that. And we see it in the book of Acts. For 40 days, Jesus is talking to him after his death and burial and resurrection. Jesus is teaching them. Then for 10 days, they prayed. Then Peter preaches for 10 minutes and 3,000 people get saved. Now, up to now, Peter is the most volatile believer there is. The most, you couldn't depend on him. Like, you could depend on Judas. You knew he was going to betray Jesus, right? You know, I can depend on a lost man to act like a lost man, right? I can't always depend on a Christian to act like a Christian, but I hope I could. You could depend on John. He's always going to be right beside Jesus. We got two dogs at home, and when we're home and the dogs are with us, if you turn around, you're going to trip over one of them because they won't leave our feet. They're just always there. That's John, man. John's just always there. When Jesus is restoring Peter at the seashore, he says, follow me. It's like Jesus gets up, walks away. Peter starts walking, looks over his shoulder, and John's right behind him. He goes, what about this dude? He said, man, don't worry about him. Worry about yourself. What Jesus told him, that's modern vernacular. It's not exact words. He said, if I will that he remain till I come again, what's that to you? You follow me. Don't worry about John. You follow me. And so... Peter, though, one day he's for Jesus, the next day, not so sure. And, and then Jesus hands him the keys to the kingdom. Now, that doesn't, that doesn't seem to make sense, but I, I was sharing this uh, either with Janice or somebody else this morning. I can't remember who it was. But I said, that's like handing a kid the keys to a Ferrari. And actually, and then I said that, and I thought, man, I had a friend. I had a business, and he had a business partner. And, and you may not know what this means. Some of you may. But Dodge came out with a car called a Viper and had a 10-cylinder engine in it. It went zero to, oh, my God, really fast. And I didn't take the name of the Lord in vain there that you would be crying out to God for help if you were in that car. So he and his business partner decided they, they would order one, and it, they had to wait for him to come in. Between him ordering it and it coming in, he got saved. And then he felt guilty. Like, the day after he got saved, they called him and said, your Viper's here. And he's like, I don't want to pick it up now. But, but he got it. Well, his business partner had a son who turned 16 not long after that. And he, and, and, and he handed him the key and said, here, you can take the Viper for your birthday or for your license day or whatever. Well, yeah, of course, he wrecked it. He wrecked the, and, the, and he wrecked the front end. And, the, and from the hood to way back on that car, it's one piece of fiberglass. It's not like parts of, it's one thing. He had to replace the whole thing. It cost $20,000 to replace the hood of that car. So it hangs in his office. <laughs> the wrecked one is still in his office. Well, Jesus is going to establish a church. It's going to be a worldwide organization. Thousands of people are going to join it every day. We're going to build hospitals. We're going to build schools. We're going to help people that are in need. And he hands the keys to a bunch of amateurs. And specifically to Peter. The guy can depend on the least. And he calls him a rock. Man, you're a rock. You're me. You got, it. you got the wrong guy here, you know. But what happens? Of course, Peter goes through a lot of difficulty but he becomes that rock because the Holy Spirit changed his life. In the new members class, we learn about our personalities. And here's something about your personality. Your personality is what it is. You can't change your personality. You are who you are. But you can act differently than who you are. So if your personality has a bad part to it, you can say, I'm not going to act like that. I'm going to act like I should act. Okay? Well, Peter's personality is to be kind of flighty. And it, we see it appear a couple times even after this. But Peter becomes that rock. And so we come to Acts chapter 2. And at least 3,000 Jews are there. Peter preaches 10 minutes and 3,000 of them get saved. And we know they got saved because the apostles are preaching uh, or speaking in tongues, as the Bible says. Now, if you're a Baptist or not a Baptist and you wonder what all this means, let me help you real quick. If you're not baptized in the Holy Spirit, you're not saved. All right? Romans 8 says this. If you don't have the Spirit of God living in you, you're not a Christian. The Spirit of God comes to us at salvation, and that is what is termed in the Bible as the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Now, here's what confuses you. We say the baptism of the Holy Spirit when you just think that's an event that happens, but it's actually describing what is going on. 
Because when you surrender your life to Christ, here's what happened. God comes to live inside of you, and God's so big, he, he doesn't quite fit. So he's out in front of you, he's behind you, he's above you, he's below you, he's all around you. And that's what the word baptism means, to immerse, to completely be submerged in. Baptism is a, is a Greek word that, that some um, scaredy cats that were, in, in, that were translating the Bible into the King James Bible, they were scared to translate the word's meaning, which means to immerse, because the king's the head of the church and they sprinkled babies and he's afraid they, they were afraid they'd kill him if they did that. So they just said, hey, let's take the Greek word, make it an English word, baptism, and then nobody will be the wiser. And so that's what they did. But the word literally means, there's ancient Greek text that says the ship sank and the word it used is the ship was baptized. Because it sank under the water. So when we are baptized in spirit, it means God fills us, he's all around us. He's with us. He, you can't escape his presence. And we're baptized into the body of Christ. Right? That's what it says in Romans 6. When we're baptized by the Spirit, we're baptized into his body. You and I, as believers, if you're sitting here and you're a believer, you're a part of the body of Christ. Now, God doesn't use that illustration lightly because science has caught up with us so that we understand what he's driving at here. I want you to think about your body for one second. All right? You are made up of a bunch of different parts called cells, right? And the cells even, you can get even smaller than that, but we'll stop at cells. And you've got eyes that see. Those are different cells than the heart that beats, right? you got ears that hear. That's different from the eyes that see or the heart that beats. you got toenails, fingernails, hopefully. you got hair. you got skin. you got organs that do different functions. you got muscles. you got sinew. you got all this stuff. And all of that came from one cell. I don't know if you ever thought about this. But when the egg becomes fertilized, everything you are came from that. So every specialized cell in your body had a trigger that told it to become something else. So if we could learn that trigger, we can turn any stem cell into anything we want. And by the way... You don't have to take them from dead aborted babies. you got more stem cells in your body than you will ever use. So God can recreate your body in a second sitting right where you are just by stimulating those stem cells to grow new organs that wear out. Did y'all know that's possible? That's medical science. Well, God put us in the body of Christ and the Holy Spirit is the trigger tells you what you become. Because he gives to the church different gifts. You're not like me, thank God. Because we need what God made you to be. And all of us fit together in a body that operates as a unit, as a whole. Are you following me? That's what it means to be baptized into Christ. That comes at salvation. At salvation, the old passes away. Everything becomes new. We become a new creature in Christ. And he puts us into the body of Christ where we function. Well, in Acts chapter 2... Peter unlocked the door and the Holy Spirit fell on the people. Now they were speaking, the Bible says they were all speaking in tongues. But let's describe what it says in Acts 2. It doesn't say they were all speaking in different languages nobody understood. They looked at each other and said, aren't those guys from Galilee? Yep. Well, I'm hearing them in French. What are you hearing them in? No, they're speaking Swahili. How is that possible? I don't know. But that's what was happening in Acts 2. They heard it in their own heart language, whatever they were saying. And every time the Holy Spirit came the first time, there was a sign associated with it. Now, we come to today and people read that and they say, oh, if you don't speak in tongues, you're not saved. No. I could say, well, if you don't tithe 10%, you're not saved. Or if you don't give generously above 10%, you're not saved because some people have the gift of giving. Well, that's not my gift. Well, neither speaking in tongues is my gift. But I have a gift. I've been baptized by the Holy Spirit and given a gift by God. At least one, multiple ones actually. But all of us that are saved have at least one gift given to us at salvation. So don't freak out because yours isn't like your other friends because God chose you to be this. That follow? And, and Corinthians says, so was I say the ear because I'm not an ear, I'm worthless? No, of course not. That's crazy. God wants to use you in the body. Okay, good. All right, so in Acts 2, that happened. That we see that first happening. And we see the, the sign gifts. Now, some people believe sign gifts have passed. Some people believe they haven't. I just believe that a guy can do whatever he wants whenever he wants. 
Okay, so we, we won't get into detail on that because we'll get into trouble. But, but that's true. Well, then we come to Acts 8, and in Acts 8, we got Samaritans. Now, if you don't know what a Samaritan is, and I wouldn't expect you to, these are people that are half Jew and half Gentile. Under the Roman occupation, Roman soldiers, you know, grabbed Jewish women, or they did it voluntarily, went whatever. But there was intermarriage, and these are a group known as Samaritans. They still exist today, but they're a very, very small group because they don't marry outside their group. And, and there's, there's a lot of physical problems there. But they're half Jewish people and half Gentiles. Well, the Jews hate the Gentiles. Gentiles hate the Jews. And so everybody hated the Samaritans. And Acts 8, Philip, the deacon who becomes an evangelist, is preaching in Samaria. And a bunch of people are getting saved. They want to know Christ. Yes, we want Jesus. But there's no sign associated with Nothing's happening. But Philip knows that Peter is the dude, right? That he's the guy that Jesus appointed. So he sends back Jerusalem and says, Hey, tell Peter, we got a bunch of Samaritans down here who want to claim Christ or claiming Christ. So Peter comes in. When Peter gets there, he prays and bam, everybody gets the Holy Spirit. And that's one where this, this guy there said, Hey, I want to I be able to do that. And he's like, No, man, you're wrong. You, may your money perish with you. Are you kidding me? You, can't, you, you don't buy the Holy Spirit. This is a gift of God. So Peter unlocks the door in Acts 8 to people who are half Jewish. So people say, well, you know, they still are Jewish, so it's okay. Well, now we got a guy that's a Gentile. He has nothing to do with being Jewish. And Peter's going to show up, because I've already read it, you know what's going to happen. And he unlocks the last door. Now, I call this the church is complete because, go on to the next slide, please. Thanks. We are now free to preach the gospel to everybody. That's what that means. You see, you and I have a problem. That is that we are human beings and we were born fallen. And if you're saved, you're a new creation. So you have the capacity to get to where God wants you to get in this subject. You may not be there now, but if you're not willing to go where I'm about to describe, you've got a worse problem than you expect. And that is this. There's nobody God doesn't want us to witness to. I will tell you, if I'd had the opportunity to witness to Bin Laden, I'm not sure I would have. I'll just be honest. I just want that dude dead. God wanted somebody to tell him the gospel. And until we get there, we I mean, we abortion's on the front burner, isn't it? But let me ask you this. Is that baby in the womb or that newborn baby that our governor would kill... Is that baby worth more or less than a derelict in the street laying in a gutter drunk out of his mind? They're the same. And if we don't have a culture of life that wants to reach all life with the gospel, we're not right with God. We naturally have prejudices in our life. It may be racial, it may be cultural, it may be religious. You know, we ought to have religious prejudice because we have the truth and nobody else does. Say, that's very exclusive. Well, yeah, but that's what Jesus said. He said he was the way. He is the way, the truth, and the life. And nobody comes to God except through Jesus. So either he's a Lord, liar, or a lunatic. You pick. I choose to believe he's the Lord. Speaking as a spirit-filled man, Jesus said he was the way. Muhammad said, I don't know how to get to heaven. By the way. Buddha certainly didn't know. Um, so... So we, we come to this now where Peter has the truth and he's got to go to a Gentile that he don't want to go to. I want you to notice a couple of things here real fast. First of all, in the first eight verses, God had to prepare Cornelius to receive the message. The Bible says that there's none that seek after God. There are none who are righteous. Nobody's even looking for God. If you're lost, you don't give a flip about God. You'd be bored in heaven if you're lost because heaven is all about the glory of God. Okay? So... If you're not saved, you don't give a flip about God. But here's the deal. If you're not saved, but you know about God and you wonder about God, that's God working in your heart. You better pay attention to that. Because he may not always be bothering you about the fact you ought to get saved and be saved. Somebody help me. Amen. If God's working in your heart, that's God working in you. I can't convince you to be saved because there's nothing in you that wants to God. Man in his natural state as a fallen man wants to run as far away from God as possible. Even Adam, he'd talk with God every day. First day God shows up after Adam's sin, Adam's hiding from him. 
And every lost man's hidden from, tried to hide from God ever since then, unless God does something in their life. And in Cornelius, he's working in Cornelius. And Cornelius is like, man, I like this religion. I believe that's the true God. And he starts giving money. He starts helping people. But he's not fully a Jew. And God is preparing him and then shows up as an angel. And I think it's interesting that Cornelius is scared when the angel shows up. You hear a lot of preachers out there on TV and places. And, oh, an angel visited me. And he's not freaked out about it. <laughs> I mean, here's a dude that leads a hundred Roman soldiers. Oh, I keep wanting to say ten. A hundred, he's a, a centurion. He's the head over a hundred totally strong soldiers of Rome. That means he is the first guy out there. He's, a, he's leading a hundred men into battle. And he's on the front of that spear. And he sees one angel and it scares him. Here's why we have trouble with that. Because in church, whenever we have a play, we always make the angels women or girls. And, and I get it. That's just what we do. And I, I you know, I, I hesitate because we do plays. We have girl angels, all that. I don't care. But I just want you to understand, biblically, angels are always men. It's a masculine word. It's always in the masculine form, angelos. Uh, it could be feminine, uh, angela, but we don't do that. The Bible doesn't do that. Because these dudes are warriors. And in fact, the ones that guarded the Garden of Eden are cherubim. Well, you see these medieval paintings of cherubim. They're fat little babies with bows and arrows, you know. That ain't a cherubim. That's some guy's idea of it, not cute. I mean, think of the guardian of Asgard. That is a cherubim. Thank you. In the first service, nobody had seen Thor. All right? If you saw the movie Thor, you know what I'm talking about. The dude that's guarding the whole world up there. Man, dude, you are not getting past him, you know. That's a cherubim. And when they pull out their story. And so one of these shows up and says to Cornelius, hey, dude. He's like, ah! I mean, it freaks him out, right? So God preparing says, send for Peter, this guy named Peter. Now, here's the deal about Peter. Like I said, back on the ranch, we see what's going on with Peter. Peter's staying with a guy they shouldn't stay with because this guy's always handling dead things. In our yearly Bible reading, we've been going through the laws of the Old Testament. And, and, and a guy that's always touching dead things is ceremonially unclean. People get all, you know, in the church, people start picking things out of the Old Testament that you shouldn't do. Back in my day, it was like... Um, uh, men are, you know, women are not supposed to wear the clothes of men. So if a woman wore a pair of slacks, then, you know, these fundamentalists, a lot of fun, no fun, a lot of damn, very little mental, they, they, would get, they would get real upset about that. Oh, you're wearing the clothes of a man. I've never seen a man in a pantsuit that still look like a man. They weren't men's clothes, number one. But number two, if you're going to start doing that, then quit eating your bacon. Quit ordering shrimp at the Red Lobster. And don't eat the lobster either. Because these are things the Bible tells you not to do. And by the way, if you are shaving, don't come telling me any of this stuff. And if the shirt you're wearing is not 100% polyester, or 100% cotton, or 100% wool, I don't want to hear it. And by the way, if you do grow that beard, you can never cut it in any way. It's just got to let it grow, whatever it is. So if your wife says, I wish you'd trim that up, say, sorry, I can't. God said, I can't. See, and the latest thing that I've ever heard is people, well, people getting these tattoos, that's just wrong. Because the Bible says you shouldn't tattoo yourself. Well, as long as you're eating pork, don't talk to me about that. Because it's the same deal. And so when I've been reading it this time, I've been thinking about it. And here's what I keep hearing. You will be ceremonially unclean. Because here was the deal. When you do that stuff back then, you could get sick. I, we, we used to live in Suffolk, down Hampton Roads, and Smithfield Packing is right by there. You can't just give them any pig to slaughter. That is a genetically modified pig, a, a bred out pig. It has a number. And if it's not that pig, they won't take it. And if you don't keep that pig right, like it can't be in the mud, it can't eat dead things, then they're not going to slaughter it. They're not going to take it. It has to be, you got to be a part of that organization and become a farmer for them. So the pigs we're eating today are not like the pigs back then. Because back then they just had, ate all the dead stuff. And they'll eat anything. Right? A vulture won't even eat meat that's going bad. He only eats good meat. If a vulture's eating it, you can eat it. A dog will go eat it. A pig will go eat it. But a vulture will quit when it goes bad. So all the things that God told them not to eat were things that ate dead stuff and cleaned it up. Like shrimp and crabs and, and catfish and pigs and vultures and... Stuff like that. You follow me? And he said, and if you don't do this, you'll be healthy. 
Like, they didn't even know how to build a bathroom. He's like, don't do that close to your house. Go way out there. Dig a hole. Get rid of it, man. That is nasty. They didn't even know that. Wash your hands before you eat, for goodness sake. What, are you crazy? And he said, if you do this, you'll be healthy. Well, those things are gone. What is still there is honor your father and mother. Don't lie. Don't steal. Don't cheat. Don't murder. Keep the Sabbath. Honor God. Worship God. Him alone. Don't make graven images. Those things are still in force. The moral laws that God gave us are still in force. But all these dietary little laws are gone. And Peter was hung up on those little laws because he's a Jew of a Jew. I mean, this dude's real Jewish. He don't know much, but what he knows, he's convinced of. Or as I like to say about myself, I've been wrong, but never in doubt. Peter was in no doubt that he was right about this. And so God gives him this vision while he's getting Cornelius ready. He's getting Peter ready. And he shows him this vision. Peter's starving. You know how it is when you're starving. I'll eat anything. And, and so God gives him this vision, this blanket coming down, all these animals. And there's snakes and, and camels and, 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 you know, the wrong kind of seagulls and all kind of stuff that you're not supposed to eat. And he says, rise, kill and eat. He goes, Lord, I've never eaten that kind of mess. And he said... How dare you call what I made unclean? I want you to think about that. Because isn't that what we have to do to people when we don't believe that they need to hear the gospel? Well, God, you know, God doesn't want those people in our church. Friend, there's nobody that we should not be sharing the gospel with. And in fact, the guys that you think shouldn't hear it are probably the ones that will be more than glad to hear it more than the nice clean neat folks that think they're okay right so God is preparing Peter to understand what I've called clean don't you call unclean he wakes up from this vision he gets immediate application because as soon as he wakes up he's going what was that all about hey is there a guy in there named Peter and God says go with them and don't hesitate he still doesn't tell, Peter still doesn't know what's going on. So Peter just comes down and says, I'm the guy you're looking for. What's going on? They tell him the story. He said, come with us. And here's, here's how you see Peter's already adapting this. Number one, he's living with Simon, who he shouldn't be with because the guy is always handling dead things. He brings Gentiles into his home and he serves them and has fellowship with them because they needed to spend the night. A Jew would not have done that in his day. So Peter's already clicking it over in his head. Hold on a minute. My prejudice is wrong, and I've got to get this straight. So the next day they go, they, they go to Cornelius, and Peter goes to serve. And by verse, uh, and, and, and um, when Peter walks in, the guy falls down. He says, get up. I'm just like you. I'm a man. Don't do that. I, I'm always wary of these pastors I see that want glory for themselves. You notice that? Listen, we are all part of the same body. We have different roles. One role is not more important than the other. Uh, they're all important. And so he says, get up, I'm just a man. He says, you know it's unlawful for me to come to your house, but God showed me that I was wrong about that, that I should not call any person common or unclean. So when I sent for I came, and I love that phrase in verse 29. Uh, or he says, I asked then, what do you want? Why am I here? I think it's kind of interesting. It's been at least 24 hours, and Peter still doesn't know what's going on. But he's where he's supposed to go. And Cornelius explains it to him four days ago, and he, and he tells him what happened. And, and so God gives the gospel to the Gentiles. Beginning there in, in verse 34, Peter says, I understand that God now, I get this now, God shows no partiality. In Ephesians 3, Paul says this, There is a mystery that from the beginning of time nobody's figured out, but God has revealed it to me, so I'm going to give it to you. And that is, out of all the nations of the world. And in Hebrew, that is goyim, G-O-Y, and then I am. The word G-O-Y means Gentile, means not Jew, okay? The, word, the, the suffix I am is plural in Hebrew. In Hebrew, you've got singular, double, and plural. So plural, I am, is three or more. So when the Jews refer to the Gentiles, the nations of the world that are not Jewish, we are the Goyim. We are all these Gentiles. All right? You following that? So Peter says, uh, Paul says in Ephesians 3, out of all the nations, out of the Goyim, God is making one people in the church. Now again, this is a, a theological discussion, an argument amongst people, and it's really simple. We like to make the simple complex. 
Paul clears it up in Ephesians 3. Because here's what people say. Well, is, is, does the church replace Israel or are they just part of Israel? No, Israel's part of the church. In Romans chapter 2, he says, you're not a Jew one outwardly in circumcisions of the flesh, but he is a Jew one inwardly in circumcisions of the heart. So when I come to Christ, he makes me one of his chosen people. Right? And the Jew gets saved the same way I do. He does not get saved by keeping the law. He does not get saved by the sacrifice. He gets saved by the sacrifice of Christ, just like I do. And so in the church, out of all the nations, God's making one people and clicks in Peter's head. Oh, wait a minute. This isn't about Jew or Gentile. This is about Jesus. Now, I will point out, because it becomes important in a minute, Peter didn't go by himself for several reasons. Number one, he's learned probably he needs some help. Number two, he wants to make sure there's witnesses to whatever's about to happen because he has no clue what it is. Number three, there are probably some curious guys like, hey, what's going on? Well, come on, we'll go see together. But Peter goes and confesses that new understanding, and then he starts sharing the gospel. And, and we could get into the whole story, but I will just tell you this. Peter contextualizes his sermon. When he's preaching to Jews, he starts talking about, you know, God made Adam and Eve, and then he picked Abraham, and then we got Moses, the lawgiver, and then there's all these prophets, and these are what the prophets said, but now... Jesus, the Messiah, has come, and we understand from all our background that he's the Messiah, and this is what God's up to. He comes to Cornelius, he goes, well, yeah, see, God sent a man named Jesus, and he showed us that he was the guy by filling him with the Holy Spirit. So he just starts where Cornelius understands. He doesn't have to explain all this Jewish background, because this dude's not a Jew. He'd just be going, from the first part, like, what in the world's going on? And so I just, you just got to understand, you got to start where people are to get them to where God wants them to be. Right? So many times in some churches, not Calvary, and, and a lot of stuff I say about churches, I, I mean generally, because our church uh, doesn't, isn't severely guilty of most of all this stuff I'm saying. But many churches, like, you know, you got to get cleaned up before you can come in here. Well, that's backwards, because you can't clean yourself up. God didn't tell us to clean the fish, he told us to catch the fish. He'll clean them up. Now, we got a part in that, obviously. We, we, we believe we ought to help disciple people. But Peter is start sharing the gospel. This is how it is, and Jesus is the Messiah, and he died for your sins. And, and, and just like any preacher, he didn't know when to shut up. Look, look at verse 44. While Peter was still saying these things, people started getting saved. Peter's still going, wait, 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 I haven't got him a point yet. I, I, I haven't given the invitation. You can't get saved yet. Hold on, I gotta, you know, we got to sing just as I am five times before you can get saved, right? No, no, man, people getting saved while Peter's still talking. I love that. That's when you know God shows up, by the way. When you don't have to beg people to come down, just under the power and the conviction of God, people want to get right with God. And by the way, God is moving at Calvary. You may not have seen it yet, but I'm just telling you, I hear these rumblings going on. God is at work, guys. And don't be surprised if a 13-year-old don't show us the way. Our kids are, God is moving so well in them. And so God brings salvation to them. Evidenced by their baptizing spirit and speaking in tongues. That was the evidence in those first three times at least. The spiritual gift manifested. That was the easiest one to manifest. Like if you got the gift of mercy, you're not going to see that right away. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, I'm merciful. I feel sorry for you. I'll help you out. You know. Well, you might have to live a little bit before you get to exercise that gift. But speaking in tongues, you can see that right away. So God comes. They speak in tongues. And, all, and notice, the people that accompany Peter are shocked. They're amazed in verse 40. 45, and the believers from among the circumcised who'd come with Peter, the circumcised, another way of saying Jewish people, who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out. Notice how even Luke writes it, even on the Gentiles. You talk about Peter having to overcome prejudice. Man, it's like, they can't be saved. Even the Gentiles are getting saved? What in the world's going on? It is a shock. Now, I don't want to make too much of this, but I do want to make another point about Peter. Peter is willing to surrender all of his old prejudices to be a warrior for God. Where, where are those among us who will stand up on their hind legs and say, this is God's truth. And I'm going to follow it whether you follow it or not. I, I was mentioning earlier some of the silly idiosyncrasy things 
that, and I'm not sure that's the right ter- use of that term, but the, the silly little things sometimes church people get caught up on, like you can't do this or you ought to do that. I'm more worried about what we're not doing that we ought to be doing than the things we're doing we ought not be doing. You know? <laughs> you know, if you, if you emphasize doing the do's, you won't have time to do the don'ts. And it'll be good and it'll be cool and everything will be good, right? So we ought, to, we ought to do the do's. We ought to pray. We ought to read our scripture. We ought to witness. We ought to give. We ought to make sure we're in fellowship with one another. We need to get out into the world. And, and one of the things we've done is we've made one of our modern little things. And, and I can see kind of how this happened from, the, from you know, we, the religion of uh, Christianity in America mainly is influenced by the English, uh, the Dutch. And, and, and by that time when they came to, to North America, they were meeting in buildings. And I appreciate that this building's different, but you know most old church buildings are they're a big long rectangle with a stage up top. Now this we got a stage, but y'all are kind of around me. That's because that guy up there is the only guy that can can do God's deal, and we're going to watch we're going to watch God's magician up there do all his little magic things with the bread and the wine and all that. But God didn't mean for that. He meant for us to be a body where we learn together and serve one another and help each other. You following? So even our architect. And so by the time we get up to around 1950s, and that's 200 years I just glossed over. But, but we want people to go to church. And people went to church because they knew that was the thing to do. And, and it's, we still hear vestiges of, well, he's a good boy, but he just doesn't come to church. If he just come to church. Well, coming to church won't get you saved. Getting saved will get you saved. <laughs> Believing in Christ, trusting Christ, that'll get you saved. And if God saves you... You'll want to come to church. You'll want to be with God's people. This is where you learn and grow and become more like Christ. And you find, oh, this is the family I was always supposed to be a part of. This is the family and this is where we come. And this building, we think of Christianity as coming to church on Sunday. Burn the building down and the church still exists. And we're more interested in coming to church than being the church. In 1989, Hugo hit Charleston Direct hit on the Isle of Palms, just a little bit north of Charleston. And, and, there's a, and, and on the end of Sullivan's Island, going north, there's an inlet, and the other side's the Isle of Palms. And where that land kind of comes together, and that inlet is flowing between the ocean and the intercoastal waterway, there's a little Lutheran church sitting right there. Sunrise Lutheran, I believe it's the name of it, back in the day. And I believe it's Lutheran. And Hugo came. It did not flood that church. It destroyed that church. It was gone. The first Sunday they could be there, they were standing on that ground worshiping God. And they even put in the newspaper, like, loss of the building doesn't stop this church. Right, because the church is not a building. We are the church. Right? So I'm grateful for an air-conditioned, comfortable place to sit in. We made it, you know, we built it so it looks aesthetically pleasing and it's beautiful. But throw a match in here and the church is still here. And we better get used to that because in recent weeks, the Pope has made an agreement with the head of Sunni Muslims to live in peace. The end is coming, y'all. And if the end's coming, persecution's coming, and we may lose all these buildings very soon. Don't, don't, don't fool yourself. We may not. You're saying we may. Will you still be a follower? Will you still be committed to Christ? So all these people are getting saved and Peter says, can anybody withhold water for the symbol of salvation? So they're baptized in water so we, everybody knows they're saved. And they're like, we can't tell God he messed up by saving Gentiles. And so they get saved. And then I like the last verse. They said, hey, Peter, hang out with us a while. We need some more help. So Peter stays and helps disciple them. Well, let me give you four things that maybe you can do with this this week if you haven't already realized some things. First of all, Let the Holy Spirit sensitize you to those around you that he's preparing for you to tell the gospel. Now that's complicated, isn't it? God's at work in somebody around you that he wants you to witness to. And I didn't write it in here, and I should have. Somebody pointed out to me. The converse is true. That means you ought to be being prepared by the Holy Spirit to witness. You ought to say, God, get me ready to be the witness to that person, whoever it is. I don't even know who it is yet. Peter gets... God says, rise, kill, and eat. Okay, Peter, don't call it unclean. By the way, there's some guys at the door. Go with them. Peter goes, hey, guys, what's going on? Oh, our master wants you to come to Joppa. Okay, let's go tomorrow because it's too late to start walking today. 
hey guys, y'all want to go with me? Sure. And they go to Joppa. He gets to Joppa. Guy falls down. Get up, man. I'm just a man. Listen, you know it's unlawful for me to come into a Gentile home, but God showed me not to do that. So why am I here? I mean, almost 48 hours, and Peter still didn't know what's going on, so he goes. You don't know who that is out there that God's getting ready, but he needs to be getting you ready too. And if you're not sitting before an open Bible in prayer, finding out God's will for your life, you won't be ready. I've had that experience in my personal life. When I was single, when I was truly single, my wife and I referred to the time before we had children as when we were single. Um, Because once the child comes, you never have that again. Um, But but anyway, when I was truly single, I was by myself. And a Saturday came, and I don't know, Clemson was playing on TV or something. And and I watched sports all day, and I was doing this and that. And I I did nothing getting ready for Sunday. I mean, I just ignored it. 7 o'clock that night, phone rings. Guy says, hey, can you come to my house? I said, sure. And it was a, a, a member of the church and all that. And on the way, God impressed my heart. That I might need to witness when I got there. And I said, Lord, you know that I have been ignoring you all day. I've not been getting myself ready for whatever it is you want to do. So please don't let my sin hinder what happens. So when I got there, sure enough, his neighbor had come over that he had been talking to. And said, I, I need to be saved. And this guy didn't even feel like he knew how to share with him how to be saved. So he had to call the preacher to come do it. So I shared with the guy. He got saved. Became a deacon in the church, in fact. And a devout member. And that was, that was a great story. But here's the after story. I was single. Did I mention that? So this little church is 45 minutes from where my mom lived. And so I would get done on Sunday morning. And I would drive those 45 minutes to get to my mom's house. Because she had lunch. Okay. So I'd go over there and I'd eat. So I walk in. And there was a lady in our church that taught every woman in our church that could play piano how to play piano. She died at 100 years of age. She had a pillow on her couch that said, old age is merely a bad habit that busy people have no time to form. Godly woman, child of a, of a pastor, godly woman, loved the Lord. That Sunday morning church, she said, what was Stuart doing last night at 7 o'clock? And my mom said, Miss Dickie, I don't know. And she said, well, ask him. She said, why? She said, because God told me at 7 o'clock, pray for Stuart as he witnesses to people. Had a lady from the church I grew up in come to that first little church, and I'm preaching. I'm like, Miss Smart, you're here. Uh, you know, it's kind of shocking. Like I said, about 30, 45 minutes away. And after I said, really, Miss Smart, why are you here? She said, because I've been wrestling with some problems. And last night, God told me, go to Stono and listen to Stuart. I've given him your answers. Now, that scared me. And I said, did you get them? She said, yeah, I brought a tape recorder to make sure I got them. I recorded everything. <laughs> I'm just telling you, and that was unbeknownst to me. What I'm telling you is there's somebody God is preparing for you to speak to. And you don't know who they are. Listen to what God's telling you. And then ask God to make you sensitive to who it is you're supposed to talk to. Number two, I got four of them today. Prepare yourself with scripture to allow God to challenge your culture and unbiblical beliefs in order to follow his will completely. These kids running around here with donuts and drinks, spilling everywhere. Where in the Bible tells you not to eat and drink in the church? Well, they didn't have church billing, so I guess nowhere. Just saying. If you want to complain about something, I will listen because I've been wrong more than I've been right. But you better show it to me in the Bible because you can't show it in the Bible. I don't care what you think. I don't care what I think. I care what God thinks. Because I I really don't care what I think because I think wrongly. God keeps showing me that over and over, by the way. Number three, prepare yourself to share the reason for the hope that's within you. You think that's a verse out of Peter. Peter wrote those words. Always be prepared to give a reason for the hope that's in you. Maybe Peter remembered when he had to go to Cornelius. Man, I better be ready to share because I don't know who God's going to open the door to. So always be ready. And fourthly, receive new believers whoever they are. It doesn't matter what your skin color is. It doesn't matter where you came from. And sometimes we have prejudices that we won't surrender. But 1 John says, if you say you're in the light and hate your brother, you're in darkness even till now. And I've seen churches. I come from a much more prejudiced place. But I've seen churches that would turn their back on somebody because of the color of their skin. By the way, uh, our resident science teacher... George Savage, after the first service, came up to me. And he said, every person in the world 
has the same amount of melanin in their body. Did you know that? You have the potential to be black. But there's another thing in your body that tells you how much you need. And the reason you're not black is because your ancestors came from a place that didn't need to be black. So you're not. And that's it. You don't know what color you are, by the way. You can ride by our house. It is brown on the outside, but that doesn't tell you what's on the inside. I'm, I'm so white it ain't funny, but I'm white on the outside. I'm not sure what color I am on the inside. And you may get to heaven and look in the mirror and go, <gasps> What? Don, Don was there. We just, we just attended a funeral a couple of weeks ago of a dear friend, Bill Hayes. Godly man, African-American church. He led people in worship and walked out of church and into heaven. Someone said that at the funeral. I thought it was beautiful. Had a heart attack and died. We're at that funeral and I'm sitting next to Mark, American Indian, descendant of Pocahontas. Looking over there, oh, there's a Spanish lady. Plenty of white folks there, Don and I being two of them. And I thought, we are sitting in this church, red and yellow, black and white, and a few browns. Worshiping God together. That's God's intention. And if you don't like that, you need to get right with God. Because the Bible says you're lost if you think that's wrong. I didn't say that. God said that. First John, you read it. Don't come at me later. There are people that love me that are armed and watching you. No, I'm kidding. But <laughs> I'm just telling you, that's what Scripture says. And I don't know about you, but I have prejudice because I come from a fallen state into a saved state. And in my saved state, God says, look at that. That doesn't come into the new life. Put it to death. Colossians 3, 5. Colossians 3, 3. You've already died and your life is hidden with Christ and God. Colossians 3, 5. Put to death, therefore, the deeds of the body that still live on this earth. And that's one we got to kill. <laughs>